I want to take a few minutes and share with you some scriptures that I think will be useful to us. There are different ways of approaching the holidays as a Messianic community. The approach that I like most is to use the holidays for both their original purposes and in the ways that Yeshua and the apostles used them, and to apply that to our experience in these days. On Rosh Hashanah, it's traditional to read about the binding of Isaac when Abraham placed him upon the altar at God's instruction. And the fact that God called Abraham to do this is alarming to many moderns, but it demonstrates a practical way that God works, that he allows people to go through the experience of sacrifice in order to prepare for the experience of redemption. It turned out that as Abraham was preparing to sacrifice Isaac, that the Lord provided another sacrifice. And this was a way that the Lord brought to an end the idea that was common in that time of human sacrifice to appease an angry God. And the Lord needed no appeasement. In fact, the Lord had a totally different attitude, but he allows us sometimes to enter into the angst and the struggle in order to prepare our hearts for the relief that he gives for us. And no doubt, Abraham and Isaac must have had some intense feelings and thoughts. How could they not? In fact, the book of Hebrews refers to the binding of Isaac and says something that's remarkable. It, it says that Abraham reasoned that the Lord could raise Isaac from the dead. In other words, the book of Hebrews is telling us about one of the, one of the ways that uh, the Jewish people understood what Abraham went through as he was preparing to sacrifice Isaac at the instruction of God, he thought he was going to have to go through it and go through with it and sacrifice his son, and then what? And so he reasoned, oh, Isaac will be raised from the dead. What's important to remember is that the initial sacrifice of Isaac included the follow-up of the burnt offering. And so the idea that his dead body would be raised from the dead, that's one thing. But the idea that his ashes could be reconstituted and enlivened, that was even harder to imagine. And yet, Abraham reasoned, well, I trust God. And God gave me Isaac, and if he takes him back, he can raise him from the dead in whatever condition Isaac is in. Boy, it's hard to imagine what they must have gone through. Because we know the end of the story, sometimes we gloss over it all. But I want to read to you the question that Isaac asked his father. It's in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. It says, Then Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, He nanny, my son. And Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here. I see them. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And at that moment... Abraham, you know, is thinking, how am I going to answer this? And he said to Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two walked on together. 
And when they arrived at the place God had designated, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And then he bound, he tied up his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, I know that most of us know the end of the story. But don't jump to that. Just imagine for a moment how terrible that experience was. You're tied up. Akeda, the binding of Isaac, means he was tied up. He was put on an altar, wood underneath him, It's really not a happy day. It's definitely not a happy day for Isaac, but not for Abraham either. Verse 10 tells us that Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife in order to slaughter his son. So he thought he was going to have to go through with it. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Avraham, Avraham. And Abraham answered, Hineni, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him, said the angel, for now I know that you fear the Lord since you have not withheld your only son from me. It's an interesting construction, the angel of the Lord. And this is a way in ancient Hebrew, in, in the times of Torah, that God was described. It was a way of naming the Lord who could manifest himself with physicality, with, uh, with sound, with physical presence. And you see, you see this when the angel says, I know you fear, the, you fear God since you've not withheld your only son from me. And that's interesting Hebrew. Who is the he? It's the Lord. Who is the he? It's the angel of the Lord. So this is a way that biblical Hebrew is expressing a complicated idea. And that is that the Lord is the angel of the Lord, and the Lord is talking and can be heard by Abraham. Some people think it's crazy if you hear voices like that. Verse 13, then Abraham looked up. He saw behind him a ram in a thicket caught by its horns. Not a lamb, but a ram. And so he went, he took the ram, and he offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And I think there was probably a gesture that went with it. You're like, the Lord will provide. So to this day, it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this raises a beautiful question. So what happened with that ram? And Arthur Wasco cites this ancient rabbinic tradition that I think is so beautiful. It's this, that one horn of that ram became the shofar that God blew at Mount Sinai in order to introduce the giving of the Ten Commandments. And the other horn will be used to announce the coming of Messiah. It's a fascinating idea. It's a beautiful idea. And, and Arthur Waskow is part of the Jewish renewal movement. He's not a Messianic Jew. He, he, he wasn't one of us. And yet, he knew this, that there was this creative interpretation and expectation of the Jewish people that the ram that had been sacrificed in place of Isaac was given 
more honor than could be imagined. And so the question was, if God can blow a shofar, where does he get the shofar from? And the answer that Rabbi Waskow offers is this. Ah, it was the ram of God. It was the ram that was provided in place of Isaac. And in this way, two things are happening. One, the Lord is bringing an end to human sacrifice, which was rampant in ancient times. And he is providing the sacrifice himself. But it's prophetic as well, and it connects the, the giving of the Sinai covenant with the ministry of Messiah. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation. Now let me read to you from Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. It talks about the children of Israel gathering at Mount Sinai. They've come out of Egypt, and they are there anticipating that God will do something great. And it says, when the people heard the thunder, and they heard the sound of the shofar. Kol ha-shofar. Ha-shofar. The shofar. So it raises the question, where did that shofar come from? Thus, the answer that we just referred to. When they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance and they trembled with fear. Now, the Scripture makes it clear that the Lord blew the shofar. And so the question, which shofar and how? And how did he do it in a way that all the children of Israel heard it? So that, that's a serious question because sometimes the Jewish people think in modern times that God is like this immaterial abstraction who exists outside of our physical and created universe. And he's just out there. But Torah presents a different picture, that the God who is greater than the whole universe and who yet created the whole universe is able to be inside the universe, inside the physical world, and to hear and to speak and to act and to make himself visible and present. In Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 14, we read that the shofar is God's instrument. And it says, Bayom hahu, say that with me, Bayom hahu, that means in the last days. In the last days, the Lord will be seen over them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning, and the Lord God will blow the shofar and go with whirlwinds from the south. And the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. Who will be the one who blows the shofar, according to Zechariah? The Lord himself. And so for all those folks who have thought of God as immaterial and unable to be present in a physical universe, Zechariah has a different word. And he says, the Lord will blow the shofar. He will take hold of the shofar, and he will blow it, and it will make sounds. Now, I know there are some people who say, you know, that's a stretch, but I would offer a couple of things that are also a stretch. You may be aware that there are whales that can talk to each other hundreds of miles away. And that's why one comedian has observed that uh, it's very difficult for whales to keep secrets. <laughs> but you might notice that sound is part of the physical world, right? 
And so the Torah and the prophets are saying that God is able to communicate into this physical world and he can take hold of the shofar, which raises the question, which shofar? Where did he get his shofar? He didn't go to the Judaica store. So where, where did the shofar come from? And thus, that creative interpretation that says it was that ram that was provided instead of Isaac that brought an end to normal human sacrifice, that that ram provided not just a blood sacrifice but another kind of sacrifice, with its horns, it became the shofar of the Lord. So the Lord will blow the shofar. It's a beautiful idea. Now, in the British Hadashah, we see this carried forward, and the apostles continued with this idea. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, it says, the Lord will come down from heaven with a shout, and I think that shout could either be a shout that is vocalized, but it can also be the teruah, the blowing of the ram's horn, because it says, with the voice of an archangel and with God's shofar, with the shofar of the Lord. And the dead who trusted Messiah will rise first. And so we have this idea carrying forward that the Lord is going to come down from heaven and he will sound the shofar and the dead who are physically dead and buried can hear in the spirit the shofar that is being blown in the physical world. And they will be awakened not just spiritually but physically. The dead who trusted Messiah will rise first. Matthew 24, starting in verse 27, reminds us that the shofar is an instrument of repentance. It's an instrument that's used to call people to turn away from what's evil, to turn away from sin, and to turn towards the Lord and to have a change in direction. Matthew 24, starting in verse 27, immediately after the great difficulties and the trials of those days. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, that's a reference to Messiah, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And God will send his angels, and with a great sound of a shofar, and the angels will gather together God's chosen from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other, or from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. It's an incredible declaration. And yet there's, there's more to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, it speaks of this last blowing of the shofar. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the blowing of the last shofar, for the shofar will sound and the dead will be resurrected, and we shall be changed. We serve a God. who looked at Abraham and looked at Isaac and recognized the power of their trust and honored that and taught Abraham, teach this to your son and your children and your grandchildren and their children. And how do we do that? We gather together at times like this and we remember and we tell each other what happened as the Torah and the prophets teach us, as the Brit HaKadoshah tells us. And we receive this with trust, with confidence that there is a God in heaven and that he is the God of earth. 
and that he is not just far away, he is so close to us. He hears, he sees, he makes himself known, he reveals himself to us, and he can awaken us in such a way that in the spirit and with our minds and our understanding, we can turn to him. We can open our hearts to him. We can learn from him. We can be dynamically changed by him into new creations. It's one thing if we were just going to be overhauled. It's another thing to be transformed into a totally new creation. The promise of God is that he won't stop with just a little overhaul. He won't stop with just a little repair. He will make us into new creations. How does he do that? He does that through the great work that he accomplished by coming to us as our Messiah, by taking on all the penalty that we deserved, all the weight and the force and the agony of our sin, he took on himself. And he paid the price that we should have paid, but we could not pay. But he didn't stop with that. He died, and he rose from the dead. And he returned to heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit, who will take up residence inside of us, that we could live with him and for him, and we could become for him little sanctuaries where he can dwell, and together we can become like stones that are assembled together into a living new temple for the Lord. So he can be in each of us, he can be in all of us, and not just us, but his people all over the world. It's a beautiful thing that he's accomplished. If you've never said to the Lord, I want to live for you. If you've never paid attention to what separates you from trusting God and living for God, if you've never dealt with that, today's a good day to do it. These days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur are called the days of awe, the days where we humble ourselves before God and we are accountable to him, we reckon ourselves to him, and we recognize that he is holy, and he is just, and he is pure, but he is also merciful, and he is compassionate. And he won't just do some small repairs on us. He will make us into new creations. And if you've ever wondered, can I just be a little bit better? The answer is, that's not the deal. The deal is you can be totally transformed and you can become a son or a daughter of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the living sacrifice that you are for us. We thank you, Lord, for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you for the Ram of God who was given as a sacrifice for Isaac. We thank you for that wonderful teaching about the ram's horns and that you have given honor to that ram and you blow the shofar. Let our hearts be open to you, O Lord, that we would be participants in the new covenant and in the new life and that we would experience resurrection life even today through Messiah Yeshua. Amen. I want to invite the shofar team to return.
I think I need. I have the service order. They're going to get ready. They're not going to blow yet. Just an early time. I want to ask you to stand right now. And join me for Avinu Malkenu. Our Father, our King, be merciful and answer us, though we have no worthy deeds. Treat us charitably with loving kindness, for you have saved us. Let's sing together. Asayimanu tadakava chesed ki hoshiyanu avinu malkenu avinu malkenu avinu malkenu We praise Zacharenu together with all the Jewish people. Remember us unto life, O King who delights in life, and inscribe us into the book of life for your sake, O God of life. And because of Yeshua, we have confidence. We not only ask for this, but we thank him for writing us in the book of life. Join me for the Zacharenu. Zachreinu lechaim, melech hafez bechaim, vechatveinu besefer hachaim. Laman chayelokim, leman chayelokim, leman chayelokim chayim.
taught his disciples. Don't rejoice in the fact that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, which raises the question, where in heaven? Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Sefer HaChayim. Let it be that our names are written in the book of life because we trust in the Lord, we trust in his Messiah. I want to invite Aaron up to lead us in the blowing of the shofar and listening, get everyone's ears ready. Aaron? Okay. Now, at this point, for some of you who were with me last night, you know this is now congregation participation time. So, for some of you, if you see the Machzor, there's a Machzor. This is their prayer book for the day. There's going to be under the seats. If you would like to turn to page 114, we're going to be calling out three sets of blasts here. And I say it's congregation participation time because you get to help me call them. Yay. And by the way, it's tequila, not tequila. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify. So we'll be doing four different blasts. It's tequila, shavarim, torua, and tequila gadola. But I have a question for you. How many of you are excited to hear the shofar blast that heralds the coming of King Messiah Yeshua? I am not convinced. How many of you are excited to hear that shofar blast? Now you can help me call out the blast. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Takia. Shavarim Taurua Takia Gadola I think you are all 
Out and I wasn't even doing it. <laughs> Kadima, forward, charge. Wow. I've got to catch my breath just watching. <laughs> this is really great. You can be seated. Let me tell you what's ahead. Yeah, catch your breath, time. <laughs> we are going to transition and prepare for Tashlich. Some of you need to, to leave now, that's okay. Um, you can go, but you'll miss a great experience and food. And for those of you who are participating online, you'll miss both of these experiences. <laughs> so there is something extra that you get when you're here together. Yes? But we love everyone who's participating with us all over the world and glad that we can share this experience in many different ways with, with everyone. Let me tell you, about Tashlich, it is a time to experience the mercy and the redemption that God has for us. And we remember that God has promised to cast our sins on the sea, on the water, and separate them from us. And so the tradition is we read some scriptures, we examine ourselves, and when we are together with our family, if, if you're gathering with uh, your family today, make peace with each other. 
And it's a wonderful thing to ask for forgiveness for anything that comes to mind, to freely ask and to freely grant forgiveness to one another. And so it's a good thing to do. And if you're here by yourself going through that experience, you can use this as sort of a rehearsal for what's ahead. And I want to encourage you that today and in the days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur, that you would make peace with your family, that you would make peace with your children, with your parents. You would make peace even with the Lord, and that you would make peace with yourself, because sometimes we do need to forgive our own failings and reckon with them. So we're going to read some scriptures, and I want you to listen carefully, and I want you to do one more thing, and that is to open your Bibles, if you have one with you, and turn to Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Let me read to you a special translation. Who is a God like you? Lifting iniquity off of us and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. This is the scripture that inspires us about casting our sins into the depths of the sea, knowing that we will take these little rocks that we have available for you, and we will contemplate our own sin, that we will remember both the small and the large things that might separate us from the Lord, but also separate us from one another and we would freely grant each other mercy and forgiveness. It's a wonderful experience. It's a great thing to do. And I encourage you to really search your hearts. And when you do go outside, to take time individually or as a family together to quiet yourself before the Lord, to examine yourselves, and to make peace with each other, even for simple things that the Lord might bring to mind, to ask for forgiveness, to freely grant forgiveness to each other, and then to take that rock that you have. Some of us recognize we need bigger rocks and cast it into the waters and trust the Lord that he will separate your sins far from you. Psalm 33 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right. All his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. 
The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. And one last reading from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Lord, we quiet ourselves before you. Lord, you teach us to live at peace with each other. to forgive each other, to be reconciled to each other. We pray, Lord, for all of our families that we would experience your peace and your reconciliation, that you would bring great healing even beyond what we could ask for or hope for or imagine. And let it be that the great promise of restoration between parents and children happens even today, even here today. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to go out at the, uh, at the deck near the Shalom Center. We have a great collection of rocks, and you can freely take one. You can please pick up your children when you leave the sanctuary. You can invite them to come with you and participate in Tashlik. You can explain Tashlik to them in the most simple of terms or the most sophisticated. And you can tell them that you want all the blessings that come from being at peace with each other. So. I also want to invite you to come next weekend, next Saturday for Shabbat services. And then I want to invite you for Kol Nidre on Sunday night, not tomorrow, but the following week. Sunday night, we begin Yom Kippur. And that will be September 24th here at 7.30 p.m. And then Monday morning, we will have morning service at 10.30 on the 25th. And after that, we'll have Yiskor memorial service. And then on live stream at 3 o'clock, we'll read the book of Jonah, and we'll have a closing Nila service together by live stream on Facebook.
at 6.30 p.m. and we'll celebrate the meal of Messiah and we will rejoice together for this year and all that God has promised for us. I hope you can join us for that great time at Yom Kippur. I also want to encourage you to RSVP for the Sukkot picnic, which is coming up. And there um, are envelopes you can RSVP with at the lobby desk in, um, as you go out. And you can fill that out with information about who's coming with you. And you RSVP by making a donation of any amount in order to support the costs of the, uh, of the picnic, which is going to be delicious. But to make sure we have enough food and the right quantities, uh, we ask people to RSVP in this way. So we're going to close now with Aaron's blessing, and then I want to ask you to take everything you've got, get your kids, don't forget them. And then you can go outside to the lake and you can pray together, make peace with each other, and experience the great joy that God has for us. Let's close. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai p'navelecha, v'yasem lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.